Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Nets world? We're back here on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. And the regular season is underway. The Nets have played two games, both of which were heartbreaking last-second losses to the Cleveland Cavaliers Wednesday and the Dallas Mavericks Friday. And in this episode, I'm going to be recapping my three main takeaways from these pair of games, both of which I thought there were a lot of common themes, also some differing developments. And you know, from the Nets' end, I think that these are two high-level performances. I think that they played very well for the majority of this, these games, but they couldn't put it away late. And my first main takeaway is directly tied to that. And the main question heading into the season for Brooklyn was do they have a closer do they have a player in clutch games in these clutch moments who is going to be able to put the game away seal it for them and honestly through these first two games that has just been couldn't have been farther from the from the case these new look nets they could be very well be 2-0 to start the season with two wins over playoff caliber teams they played two solid games for i would say about 44 minutes but the difference in these two losses it really just came down to one thing The Nets don't have Donovan Mitchell and they don't have Luka Doncic. They led by six with a minute 20 remaining against Cleveland. The offense stalls. They have turnovers and bad shots on almost every possession. Donovan Mitchell scores seven straight points to put the Nets away. Then Friday, they lead by five with 315 remaining against Dallas. Again, the offense stalls. Jock Vaughn's doing this offense-defense thing with Cam Thomas that's throwing him out of rhythm. We're going to talk about that more at length in a little bit. But the offense stalls turnovers, a couple of bad shots. Luka Doncic drains four consecutive threes, the last of which was one of the most ridiculous shots you're ever going to see. You know, the Nets turn in one of their best defensive possessions of the night. He throws up a last-second hook shot three off glass. You know, they should have the ball tied with a final possession to win the game. But, you know, lucky, tough break, what are you going to do? But, hey, that's what great players do. That's what great players are able to elevate these moments at the end of games and Head coach Jock Vaughn for the Nets said it after the game when asked about the commonalities in these two losses. No, I think uh, at the end of the day, what makes uh, teams very special at the end of the day is they have dudes who can make tough shots, just like Donovan did against us the first night, uh, Luka did tonight. And that's the uh, difference in layers of the league, in in my opinion. And uh, we'll grow to understand uh, how to make plays like that at the end of the night. Uh, but overall, again, putting ourselves in a position to win ball games, we'll continue to learn. And the Nets are going to have to find a closer if they want to win or close out these games against high-level teams because we've heard about it all preseason entering this year that they want to play with pace, they want to put the ball in Ben Simmons' hands, they want to not play in the half-court offense, they want to take advantage of their gifts. But I've continuously said it that in the NBA, at the end of games, when the pace of play slows down and when you're not able to just capitalize on those transition looks, defenses are starting to really lock in in the half court. You need that guy who you can go to and rely on to create offense, not just for himself, but also for others. And for the Nets, two players come to mind, and it's Mikhail Bridges and Cam Thomas. Bridges hasn't been in rhythm through two games. He's, you know, he hasn't really found his stride with as a ball handler creating, especially in these late game moments. But he has to be more assertive down the stretch. He was 0 of 2 in the fourth quarter against Dallas. He has to be more involved. And part of that is Vaughn has to get him the ball in his spots. 
But Mikhail also just has to be more assertive of initiating offense and trying to get the ball and trying to press the issue. He has to establish himself as a ball handler. He's not a natural ball handler, but he is one of the team's best shot makers, best tough shot makers. So he's going to have to get comfortable handling the ball in those moments because Ben Simmons certainly isn't doing it. And there really aren't many other players on the Nets team who have the shot making capability and the efficiency that Bridges has been able to show during his NBA career. The other guy who might be in that category is Cam Thomas, who has led the Nets offense through these first two games. And he showed flashes of what he can do as a closer during this game. He drained a tough step back three with 50 seconds remaining to tie the game for Brooklyn. And Jock Vaughn, I said it, he's doing this offense-defense thing that I'm going to deliberate more in a couple of minutes. But he's just going to have to trust uh, trust Thomas's defense and let him continue to grow as both a playmaker and a scorer in those moments because the Nets simply don't have other guys who can do it in this Dallas game. They The offense is sputtering down the stretch when Thomas isn't in the game. So he's going to have to step up as that guy. Everybody knows the shot-making ability that he has. And more importantly, there's one thing clear about Cam throughout his NBA career. He is not afraid of the moment. So it really just comes down to the Nets giving him the opportunities to have the ball in rhythm in those moments. And that's what I'm going to talk about in a second. But, you know, Brooklyn, they have the shooting and the defensive personnel to be competitive in plenty of these games this season. But as of right now, through two games, they don't have a closer until they find one. You're going to see more results like you saw, especially against, you know, high level teams like Cleveland and like Dallas hopes to be. So first takeaway, Nets have to find a closer. Next, I just touched on Cam Thomas briefly, going to expand upon it a little bit. Cam Thomas is shining and he is leading the Brooklyn offense through two games. Last night, 30.7 rebounds, two assists, 12 to 19 from the field, one of four from three, five of five from the free throw line, and very impressively, zero turnovers in this game. And we're only two games in, but I think it's safe to say that Cam Thomas is the best scorer on the Nets roster. And that's something that honestly is unbelievable as it is. You could have said that last season after the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving trades because he turned in four, uh, 340-plus point performances in a row, became the youngest player in NBA history to do that. And he wasn't even in the rotation after that. you know. And it really, it really was baffling to Nets fans. And Cam is really starting to make that Nets coaching staff and Jock Vaughn look kind of silly for that decision. And he's really starting to prove his worth because every time Cam plays, it seems like he sets a new record. I just said it last season, became the youngest player in NBA history to score 40 plus points, three consecutive games. It was just like a blip in the next season. He didn't play early on. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they're in trade negotiations. He steps in 40 plus in three straight games. Then he goes back to the bench. It was like a glitch in the matrix. And, you know, obviously it was a strange decision by the Nets coaching staff to bench him late, but Turned in a high-level offseason from everything I've heard. Jock Vaughn made it no secret last year. He wanted to see Cam improve in the areas that he wasn't too great in his first two seasons. That's spot-up shooting partly and then mainly as a passer and as a defender. And he's really committed to improving in those areas. And Jock Vaughn has rewarded him with an expanding role, with an expanded role. And through two games, it's averaging 33 points on 62.5% shooting. So the production is there and we're really starting to it's really starting to go past is Cam Thomas going to be a consistent part of this rotation to should he be a starter, which the answer probably now is probably that you're going to have to put him in the starting lineup based on, you know, his production through these two games. And now the conversation starting to get in of what is Cam ceiling and what can he be? And can he be a star level player in this league? Because that's the kind of offense production, the kind of confidence, the kind of three level scoring that he's displaying right now. And despite that, 
There were still several key possessions, as I said, where Cam was on the bench in the final minutes of the game. And Jock Vaughn did this against Cleveland. He took Cam out of the game, I think, with around nine minutes left or 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Didn't bring him back in until three minutes left in the game. And that really hurt the Nets offense down the stretch of that game. Yet, you know, in this game, he does about the same thing. He subs Thomas out with about seven and a half minutes left in the fourth. And, you know, that's fine. He had played a lot of minutes, need to give him rest. He brings him back with four and a half minutes left in the game. Again, fine. But then like last game, he proceeds to go with this offense-defense strategy where he's bringing Cam on and off the court almost every other possession. And he ends up uh, sitting from the 220 mark until there's one minute left in the game. The Nets had two possessions during that span. It was a shot clock violation, and then it was a Dinwiddie miss floater. And you just can't have that, you know, in, against a team with a player like Luka Doncic, where you're struggling to get stops, you can't afford to have the offense sputter. You cannot afford to have your best scorer on the bench. There's just no way. The offense looks disjointed without him on the floor in those moments. And at a certain point, what it's going to come down to is Jock Vaughn is going to have to trust Thomas's defense. And FYI, he wasn't even a terrible defender by any stretch in that game. He was active. He wasn't a glaring negative on that end. And Thomas is really going to be the guy alongside Mikhail Bridges who's going to have the ball in his hands. But if Cam is able to continue on this, I mean, he's not going to continue on this pace, but if he's able to continue on a pace of putting up 22 to 26 points per game on efficiency with low turnover rates, you're going to have to get to a conversation where it's going to have to be Cam Thomas may be the lead ball handler and the lead scorer of this team with Mikhail Bridges transition or not transitioning, being in a number two role where he's honestly more suited off the ball and he's more comfortable where he's still going to score probably over 20 points a game. He's still going to be extremely efficient. It's going to help him on defense because he's not going to have to spend as much energy trying to carry this Nets offense. But we're getting to a point where Cam Thomas may be the alpha dog offensively for this next team. And, you know, that was never out of the realm of possibilities based on what we've seen him do in his young career. But to see it this early in the season is really quite the development and a positive for the Nets, a resounding positive who just exercised Thomas's team option. They had him under contract for $4 million next season before I think they had, he has a $6 million qualifying offer in the summer of 2025. So really a great development for the Nets. It's never a negative to have a player who can score with the best of them in the NBA. Now they have to find out, you know, how do they blend that skill set into the system of their team and Cam Thomas round out some of the other aspects of his skill set offensively as a playmaker and then keep improving his defense. But, you know, Spencer Dimwitty said at media day that the Nets were going to go as far as Ben Simmons and Mikhail Bridges took them in 2023-24. That's a quote. May need to edit that take and put Thomas's name in place of Simmons because through the first two games of the season, it's very clear that Thomas is the guy who's producing for a Nets team whose biggest question mark heading into the year was were they going to be able to produce in a half-court offense. Last takeaway of this game is that Nick Claxton was ruled out before this game, surprise scratch, with an ankle sprain, and the Nets offense really opened up without Ben Simmons and Claxton sharing the floor. A main question mark surrounding the Nets last season was Simmons and Claxton's fit as non-shooters sharing the floor in Brooklyn starting five. We've continuously heard that heading into this season. We've harped on the spacing concerns of those lineups. And the season opener showed why. The offense stalled at several points for long stretches. The Nets, a coaching staff, a Brooklyn coaching staff, that has routinely emphasized their desire to take 
30 to into the high 30, close to 40 threes per game. They took 27 threes to Cleveland's 43 in that game that resulted in a 17-9 disparity in made threes. And Simmons just looked comfortable offensively. He shot two of six from the field. I put together a mix of all of his shots on Twitter. He was fading away on nearly everyone. The aggressiveness wasn't there. And, you know, that's obviously a tendency that Simmons has had dating back now over two seasons. But it was also a product of Evan Mobley, a defensive player of the year candidate, patrolling the paint while he's covering Nick Claxton. Being able to hang out between Claxton, who's either at the foul line or in that dunker spot with Simmons or vice versa, he's able to hang out in between them and play too. And that's really making Simmons uncomfortable. And like I said, Claxton was ruled out with an ankle injury ahead of Friday's game. And the Nets lean then to a small ball five out philosophy to their credit. They put Simmons in a position for success. They started Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Thomas, Mikhail Bridges, and Dorian Finney-Smith alongside Simmons. Royce O'Neal and Lonnie Walker, two very good shooters, were the main guys off the bench. The Nets pretty much played this entire game without a center. Dayron Sharp played just three minutes in this game. It was Simmons was the point center when he was in the game. Dorian Finney-Smith was the biggest player on the floor when Simmons was out. And the result was a less cluttered paint, a more free-flowing offense. The Nets attempted 43 threes during the loss. That's a number that they're going to be really happy being at. An even better number, they made 21 of them. That's 49%. And they had five players who made three or more threes. Spencer Dinwiddie, Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Lonnie Walker. And Simmons looked far more comfortable as the game progressed in that five-out system, which shouldn't be a surprise because we saw glimpses of it last season. He had 10 points, 10 rebounds, and eight assists. He was five of eight from the field. He became he began attacking the rim. He had a really strong transition take where he faked the pass and went right to the hoop. He had one where he went right into Luka Doncic's chest in the paint and bowled him over, kicked out to Dorian Finney-Smith for a three. He had another where he went right at Maxi Kleba in transition and took it straight to the rack. And, you know, the Nets, or they had the luxury in this game of going small ball, going five out almost the entire time because Dallas isn't a big team. They don't have a big anchoring center in the paint. They have Maxi Kleba and a rookie and Derek Lively as a center rotation. But, you know, this is going to raise some questions for the Nets moving forward. You know, as I've said throughout several on several recent pods and in several recent articles before this, you know, Simmons and Claxton, they're undoubtedly two of Brooklyn's five best players. But, you know, it's the spacing concerns are glaring and you're really mitigating some of both of their strengths by having them on the floor together. The Nets philosophy entering the year was that despite the pacing uh, spacing concerns in the half court, that this defense with two near seven footers who can guard one through five, that they were going to create steals. They're going to grab and go off rebounds they're going to play in transition. They're not going to be stuck in the half court, but that can only happen so much if your offense is struggling like it did in that first game against Cleveland and it's bleeding into the defensive end of the floor because those two ends are correlated. You know, it's a push and pull. So, you know, I think the Nets are going to give it a larger sample size, but it feels like only a matter of time before they move away from those pair of non-shooters, Simmons and Claxton, playing alongside one another. And when they do, another difficult question arises. Which player is going to sit at the end of games? How many minutes are both of these guys going to play? Because like I said, Simmons and Claxon are two of the Nets' five best players. But especially down the stretch of games, when I just talked about their struggles closing games, their struggles finding a guy who can put the ball in the basket in those moments, it's really going to have to be, you know, one of those guys on the floor because you can't afford to have a cluttered paint. You can't afford to have a disjointed offense in those moments. And if you're asking me right now, which of those guys is going to be off the floor down the stretch of games, I would say Simmons because Simmons is clearly still not 
you know, he's not comfortable shooting the ball in fourth quarters. He doesn't want the ball in his hands, especially in the final five minutes. I said it in a recent article and on a podcast. I think he took 0.7 shots per game in fourth quarters last season. And Claxton doesn't have that same fear. He brings the same defensive energy, if not even more defensive energy. And until Simmons starts to improve on that end, I think that could be while still difficult to have Simmons off the floor, I think if you're picking between those two, it could be you know somewhat of a simple decision to put Claxton on the floor in those moments. And we've already seen Jock Vaughn have a willingness to bench Simmons down the stretch of these games. He did it in the first game, brought him back in really late, and then on the, the biggest defensive possession of the game, didn't even have him on the floor, which is a head-scratcher in my opinion, because all you needed was a stop, then you could get a rebound and call timeout. And then last night, he sat Simmons down the stretch because offensively, like I said, he really didn't want to have the ball in his hands. So that question of the Simmons-Claxton pairing, while I think they're going to give it more time, I do think it's going to resolve itself sooner rather than later. And then we get into the question of how do those two guys coexist in the rotation if they're not playing alongside one another and how does that impact both of their workloads? But I do think that it will really benefit Ben on the offensive end. So those were my three main takeaways. A few guys that I just wanted to quickly touch on before I went. I talked about the Nets' three-point shooting, their improvement of that area during this game. They had a pair of players in Spencer Dimwitty and Dorian Finney-Smith making their return. Both of those guys turned in really nice performances. Dimwitty finished with 23 points. He was 6 of 12 from three. He had it on automatic in the first half. Dorian Finney-Smith played really good defense, finished with 12 points, was four of seven from threes. So both of those guys turned in high-level performances. And then Lonnie Walker the fourth, who logged a DNPCD in his first game in the season opener against Cleveland. Jock Vaughn spoke a little bit about that after the game, said he, he planned to have Lonnie Walker play, and then game flow kind of ruled it out. He went over to him and told him that. But he put him in the rotation for this game with Cam Johnson and Nick Claxton out, and Walker answered in a big way. He had 14 points. He was 4 of 6 from 3, 2 assists. as a team-high plus 8. He did all that in 21 minutes. And I spoke about Walker on prior podcasts after one of the Nets preseason games, and he's a guy that his blend of shot creation a little bit that he can do late in the shot clock with some high level three-point shooting some athleticism able to run the floor and transition put pressure on the rim while also shooting some threes getting into the mid-range if he's going to continue to play like this if he's going to continue to shoot with this kind of confidence the Nets have a lot of guys but he's going to have to receive continued opportunities to earn a place in this rotation moving forward because he has a skill set that frankly, not just not a lot of other guys on this team have. And if he can commit on the defensive end and he continue to do those things offensively, I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be in the rotation. So those are my three main takeaways from Brooklyn's first two games with a couple of tidbits on some other players. I'm Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for clutchpoints.com. This is the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. I told you guys in a tweet earlier this year that I'm going to be putting a lot more effort into this podcast. I'm going to be trying to record every two games I'd say I'm going to be trying to record. And this is a solo pod, but I'm going to be getting some real interesting guests from around the Nets organization, also some broadcast teams coming on. So make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and smash the like button on YouTube. Both those places I'm going to be posting all these episodes. Really enjoyed talking to you guys. I'll be back soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.